Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Rachel Thibault and Nita Funk, the co-founders of Woodley & Lowe. So welcome to the show, Rachel and Nita. Thanks for having us, Allison. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you both for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you each are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Rachel Tabo, and I'm one of the co-founders of Woodley & Lowe. Um, I'm primarily responsible at Woodley & Lowe for our um, production side, as well as like visual marketing and social media. Awesome. And I'm Netta Funk. I'm also one of the co-founders of Woodley & Lowe, and I um, focus on business development and partnerships. Awesome. So I know from reading a little bit more about you both, you have extensive experience in entrepreneurship journey before starting this business, but I'm curious what brought you into fashion? So it, it actually kind of happened to us fortuitously. Um, we had both been kind of facet fashion adjacent in previous careers. Um, mm -hmm. I, myself, I've been in investment banking, um, covering, uh, high growth apparel retailers and, um, and, you know, in between that and now I actually opened my own, um, brick and mortar bakery, which I ran and operated for, for 12 years. Mm -hmm. Um, but Net Netta and I were introduced over the summer of 2019 after I'd closed my bakery and, um, we were both looking for a next entrepreneurial venture. And we began talking about the opportunity and I'll let Netta give her background and, and how she started noticing this opportunity, but um, both began talking about the opportunity for making high quality everyday apparel for teen girls, something that would not just end up in a landfill, something that was meant to last, that had more circularity involved, more sustainability, and just a better brand messaging than, than what these girls were getting. Mm -hmm. And my background is um, similar to Rachel. I had started off my career in finance working um, with retail businesses and specifically actually focused on the teen retail segment as an equity analyst covering teen retail businesses. Um, I then sort of transitioned and worked with a number of different retailers, both bigger brands and um, startups, one being a tween, actually tween girls um, accessory startup. I worked in um, fitness. I had a fitness startup for um, a bit and just have always been sort of very active in the startup world, working with um, startups and, and working on different ideas of my own. So as Rachel said, when we were introduced, um, I had kind of been identifying this sort of big white space in the market, of uh, apparel market for teen girls. And you know, we both started talking and Rachel having daughters in this age segment immediately recognized a lot of the pain points that helped us sort of create the foundation of this brand. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like kind of all your past experience and business ventures really kind of led into and helped in starting Woodley and Lowe. Are there specific things like from your prior businesses that you ran or that you were, you know, brands that you worked with that really, really helped, you know, other than seeing the need um, for teen girls apparel of your prior entrepreneurial experience that uh, really gave you a solid foundation when starting Woodland Low? Well, for me, I'd say just um, from my most recent experience with the bakery, um, just a lot of like the day-to-day -day operations of working with vendors, um, figuring out, you know, how to get from point A to point B, what, what's involved in, in building something and, and making a product. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that, you know, fashion is a totally different industry, but at the same time, there's a lot of the, like, to get something, you know, the fact about getting something made and delivering it to the a customer, there's a lot of similarities involved to what I was doing before. I'd also add for me, you know, both in the brands that I've built in the past and, and brands I've worked with, one thing that is a common in terms of creating a best in class brand and, and, and um, you know, platform is 
I think really focusing on building a strong community and experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of why we always say we're taking a community first approach to building this brand. Cause I think that really becomes the heart of the brand and what sets it apart from every other apparel brand out there. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like for Woodley and Lowe building that community? Like in what ways do you foster growing a community Mm -hmm. or um, like build that community? Yeah. What, what does that mean for your brand specifically? So from day one or even day zero, I'd say we always wanted this to be a brand where we were co-creating with our customer. We started an Instagram group, which was sort of our internal focus group of about 150 teen girls before we even launched. Um, We hired two high school girls to run that and really sort of um, look to these girls to inform our decisions on everything from our brand name and logo to our initial designs and colors. Um, once we launched, we then sort of rolled that group into what we, you know, the foundation of our ambassador program. Our goal mm-hmm. has always been to win these girls over one friend group at a time and to really sort of embrace real girls, not just go after influencers or celebrities, but to be accepting of girls of, you know, from all over with all different interests. And we're really excited that we've we've been able to build this group. We have just over 200 ambassadors currently, um, and they're really helping us to shape this community of, like I said, real girls and, you know, very engaged with the brand, super excited to be um, representing our brand, to be wearing it, to be spreading the word to their friends. Um, And I think, you know, we're working on all sorts of community building events, Due to COVID, everything has been, mm-hmm. you know, largely virtual, but um, everything from sort of enrichment sessions, virtual sessions with experts um, to, uh, you know, trunk shows that they can take part in. So, you know, we're, we really see building out our community as a very strong part of our brand mission. And something I'd add to that as well is that just from a sustainability perspective, I think one of the big problems with the fashion industry is you have this old model of um, like uh, fashion designers pushing um, their opinion onto customers. And so, mm-hmm. you know, fashion brands try to predict, well, this is going to be the next color. This is going to be the next thing. And we always felt that by communicating with and and listening to our community and finding out what they want and not trying to be like super avant-garde or predictive, we can better develop a product that they're going to like that's going to last them longer um, and and that's just going to be like a, a popular essential for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I'm all for like really getting to know your customer, like building that building that community, but, and, and building that understanding and empathy of, you know, what are they doing in their daily life? How, who are their friend group? Like how, where do they hang out? And um, yeah, just really getting to know what they care about and what, you know, what fit issues uh, Mm -hmm. they generally have um, and all of that. Cause it can, you know, like you said, really help shape the brand and the design and colors and, and the fit into uh-huh. something that um, your customers are really going to love. So, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what was that gap that you saw in the market for teen girls? Like, was it fit issues? Was it, um, you know, I, I know you mentioned kind of build, building your products to last and being more sustainable, but um, were there other things that you saw in the market that just there was a gap that wasn't there that you wanted to fill? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first things that we noticed, um, and and especially like born out of my frustrations as a mom trying to buy clothes for my girls, mm-hmm. um, was that there was there was a problem with the way that the sizing worked because between kids brands and women's brands you know, there used to be like juniors and teens, but, but that's kind of gone to the wayside and kids brands, um, the largest kid sizes fit. We, we did some research and like compared them against the pediatric growth charts. Mm -hmm. And we found that like the size 12 kids is, 
is like the bottom 20% on the pediatric growth chart of the height and weight of actual 12 year old girls. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just knew from experience as well, that like as early as 10 or 11 years old, my girls started thinking that, that the kids brands that I always bought for them were babyish and they Mm -hmm. wanted to like, look to the next thing. What are the older girls wearing? What's my older sister wearing? What are the teens wearing? And, and wanted something a little bit more mature. And at the same time, women's brands don't fit them. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you have, you have from age 10 to say 14 or 15, you have all this growth happening. You have your body changing. Um, So, so, you know, girls are, are, don't know what sizes they are. They're growing out of things quickly. um, And they're, they're learning to adapt. They're not growing in a linear way either. So like Mm -hmm. women's brands, anticipate that if you're a size zero or a size two, you're both narrower and shorter. And if you're a size eight or 10, you're wider and taller. And, and we know that that's actually not physically the case for any teens or women. And so we, we wanted to have a little bit more flexibility in how we looked at sizes, offer two different heights or sorry, two different lengths in our, each size of our pants, just to add more variability for height and weight distribution. Um, And we just wanted to take the emphasis. We wanted to do something more body positive because this is such a a tricky age for body image and, um, and self-confidence. We didn't want, we didn't want to use like a, the typical, like small, medium, large scale. Um, We want, so we created our own scale that's based on ABCDE lettering and really our emphasis with our fit tool on our website is to make it be like, how do you like to wear your clothes? Do you like to wear them a little more fitted or a little baggier? Just enter your height and weight and we'll give you a recommendation. So it's not about what size are you, it's more about how you like to wear your clothes. Nice. Yeah. And that's very different from what you typically see, right? Where it's very linear of like, what's your bust waist hip measurement? And there's a 10 inch difference between your waist and your hip, at least, you know, for a lot of women's size charts and it's not very representative of many women. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely remember being that age and like, what size am I? And I was definitely the the short, small one where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was wearing size 10, you know, size 12 when I was preteen and was like, I don't want to look like I'm eight, but also I'm kind of that size. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So was there a lot of, um, like, what did you do to figure out like what that sizing needed to be in kind of this whole new approach to finding the right fit for, like you said, a very like, you know, teen girls' bodies are changing very often. So um, what kind of like research or what was your process for developing this new sizing system? So we, we went about it fairly um, methodically in that we had, um, we hired a, a, a data researcher to kind of pull actual height and weight combinations of, you know, a couple thousand different data points they had from the CDC website of girls in this age group, you know, American girls in this age group. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, we plotted a, um, a, a graph of where, what all these height and weight combinations were. And, you know, as a startup business, we didn't have the budget to create something that was like a hundred percent inclusive of all those data points. But what mm-hmm. we did was we noticed that there was a cluster kind of around these areas. We kind of drew a oval around the area where we saw like 75% of the data points clustered. And, um, and then we, we mapped out kind of in this similar way to that, like, you know, pantyhose um, maps out how the size Mm -hmm. changes based on your height and weight. We kind of figured, figured our sizes out from there. And, you know, so to, to really simplify it, our size A is roughly a size, a kid size 12 and our size E, which is right now, our biggest size is like a women's 10, 12. And, um, and then, like I said, we just, we, we made all, all of our, pants in two different lengths. Um, you know, that was a pet peeve of mine. And it's funny, like Netta's on the shorter end, I'm on the taller end. And so we, we, it's kind of worked out well for us that like, 
you, we have these two different lengths. Like I, I always hated buying sweatpants and having them be like up in my calf. So, mm-hmm. um, so we, we came up with something that just, that fit more people And it. You know, I think this is an area where being outsiders to the fashion industry kind of served us well, because, you know, we hit, we had a lot of resistance from people saying, um, you know, this is too complicated. No one's going to be able to produce this. You're going to have inventory issues. And, you know, to be honest, it has not been without headache. There are definitely headaches involved with it, but we get so, so much praise for having done, having like stepped outside the box and created this, this new system, um, Mm -hmm. that it makes all the headaches worthwhile. And people are like, oh, finally, you know, I'm only 4'10 and I have sweatpants that fit me. Or, you know, finally I have the, I feel like I have like a, this easy to use flexible size chart. It's it, your, your, I mean, we, we get your sweatpants fit so well, we get all over and over again. So. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And then it, I feel like the fashion industry is very kind of old school, like we're hesitant to change in a lot of ways. And so, but but, you know, it, innovating like this and trying new things and, you know, even the past couple of years with COVID has brought so much new technology and um, ways of working to the industry that it, it really, it makes a difference in the end. Like it's a good change, but sometimes I think fashion kind of goes kicking and screaming totally. <laughs> forward in some of those ways. So Totally. So sizing was one of the big issues and you mentioned sustainability. Was there anything else like with that teen girl market that you are, are addressing or fixing or trying to do better with Woodley Low? Yeah. I mean, I think lastly, it was just really in the brand messaging. I think, you know, teen brands um, in the past have kind of um, their marketing playbook has been this kind of like girls really want to be like the mean girl mentality, like the popular girl, like the popular mm-hmm. girl looks one way or whatever. And we really noticed that these gen, this gen, gen Z is, is really, you know, bucking that old psychographic where they're, they're more inclusive, they're more um, supportive of each other. And we really felt that like, it had to be kind of table stakes for us to be an include, like an authentic, inclusive brand that cared about sustainability, that cared about social responsibility, that gives back, you know, we give back 3% of our revenue to um, causes that are important to our community, um, that's body positive, all this stuff. Like, you know, we weren't, we didn't set out to start a, a business that, that, like made one of these pillars, its platform and, and really marketed around that. We really felt that, you know, without even like making it apparent, but not, not like being overly performative about any of it. Mm -hmm. Like this just has to be like in our nature of who we are. Yeah. It's not something, uh, I heard someone say the other day, it's like, instead of making it something you do, it's something that, uh, you think about every time you do anything, Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I just, and <laughs> the kind of mean girl stereotype is very much like, I remember that growing up and like of kind of the, the clothes of the aesthetic that everybody was kind of told they should follow. And now, yeah, there's so much more like expression in terms of clothing. That's that, that, you know, being your own individual is, um, much more trendy, you know, exactly. <laughs> like no, that's exactly that right. it, but now it's, now it's like, that's what everybody wants is to be, feel comfortable in their own skin. And yeah, like you said, being, being inclusive about size and about fashion and about sustainability rather than, I think a lot of teen brands are very exclusionary mm-hmm. in many ways, like sizing, what their models look like, you know, mm-hmm. all yep. of that. It was very much about, are you, you know, in the cool girl club or, or are you not? And yeah, it sounds like you're really kind of going against that and saying, no, we want everybody to be in this community. Yep. That's right. So you maybe answered some of this already, but what are some of those values that Woodley and Lowe is based on? Um, yeah, I mean, it's our brand tenets are um, sustainability, um, 
inclusivity and authenticity, um, body positivity and social responsibility. And so we do like the sustainability portion, we use, you know, 90% of our styles um, use, um, use sustainable fabrics. You know, it's not hundred percent only because we, we still are so new and there were a couple um, performance fabrics that we mm -hmm. couldn't, um, we, we couldn't afford to create it with recycled yarns yet, but mm -hmm. we're, we're improving that percentage with each new collection we put out. Um, but in, in addition to thinking about how our clothes are made, it's also about like how long they last, um, how, what we do when you're finished using them. We have a, we have an evergreen return policy where, where um, items can be sent back to us for store, partial store credit um, at any point at any time after you've purchased them, um, no matter how much they've been worn. And then we'll take care of either um, reselling, donating, or upcycling them. Um, we also have a platform on our page, uh, on our website, where, where our customers themselves can go to, to resell their Woodley and Low items. And so it's mm -hmm. very easy to use. Um, it's, they, get, they get the choice of either getting... Um, 80% of the sale price in cash or 120% of the sale price in store credit. And um, it's, it's, it's very seamless and easy just to do through our website. Um, and then as far as body positivity, we talked about that for, with the, the sizing, mm -hmm. um, you know, authenticity and inclusivity. Netta mentioned like how we are all about our community and our everyday girls, and we try to involve them as much as possible. And then um, social responsibility. We talked. We touched on the fact that we give we give three percent of our revenue, no matter if we're making a profit or not, to our um, partner organizations. So cool, um, all those things, and even um, yeah, I was on your website earlier, and your uh, I'm getting I'm blanking on the name now of what you call your like resale program. Um, it was something about sharing or sending yeah, pass it on. Yeah. Pass it on. Yeah. So even even that, like it just sounds more approachable and like what you, you talk to with your group of friends rather than like resale, you know, <laughs> like using the name. So totally yeah, just seemed very friendly and um it's great that like even as a, a brand because uh you started in 2019 you said we launched we launched in um basically the start of 2020 oh, okay yeah so you're only like two two years I'm old sorry the end of 2020 oh, the end of 2020 <laughs> okay so yeah not not even two full years right am I doing the yeah math? we're we're we've been live our website has been live for just over a year oh wow wow so we're we're pretty young still yeah. And that's amazing though, that like, as, as a startup still, you still have all of these where you're, you're saying this is important to you as a brand and to your community and to do these initiatives that, you know, a lot of big brands aren't even doing yet. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think both of us felt really strongly that as we were developing this idea, we didn't want to just like pump more garbage into the world. And mm -hmm. we felt that we saw this need and in order to, and, in and, you know, the girls, these girls needed something that was better quality that lasted longer. And that was more like better brand messaging supportive of, of them as individuals. Um, but in order to counterbalance, um, just producing more stuff in the world, we just, we wanted to think about how we could make it, um, how we could make it matter. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like on the production side of things, and especially since, you know, you started in 2020 and production has been a, kind of a mess in shipping uh, mm -hmm. the past couple of years. Um, what was the journey like um, producing and developing your, your first collection or, you know, your subsequent collections? Having like I know you said you um, kind of taking an idea and producing something start to finish. You had a little bit of background in that, but still navigating the fashion industry, especially during the past couple of years. What was that like? Yeah, it's been a really, it's been a real ro roller coaster ride. Um, I mean, we, we make everything in LA. So um, in some respects, 
managing everything domestically was a lot easier um, mm-hmm. as far as a, a, a lot of the supply chain issues. We did, though, you know, because we were in LA and California has had its own, um, you know, COVID restrictions and issues. We have had, you know, times when our factories were shut down at times. So we've had we've had delays. Um, and, you know, when you launch a fashion um, company, you have you you kind of have to have a certain amount of inventory in order to launch, right? You have, you can't, I mean, I think there's, there's a, there's a path you can go where you launch with maybe one product and then start laying it on. But we felt for this, this market, for this customer, she was going to want to see a little bit of variety as far as styles and colors. So we kind of, we kind of had to, had to launch with like a, a, a thorough enough connect collection um, mm-hmm. that we would attract her interest. And so that was a challenge to get because it was it was a lot of um, pieces, a lot of SKUs to get up and running and get out um, like out into the world. And um, and then from there, we've kind of been able to like take a step back and think about doing things like a little bit more like um, in smaller quantities, uh, you know, dropping different colors or new styles like here and there. Um, I just think that that's a more it's again about sustainability and not, you know, creating so much waste, like doing things just more like a little bit at a time and, and mm-hmm. putting out new stuff just to kind of keep things interesting. But, you know, our, our, our pieces are meant to be kind of seasonless and, and kind of everlasting. Um, so we don't, we don't see things as like, this is, this is the trend for, you know, fall, winter 22. And once that season is over, what we had, whatever, what we haven't sold, you know, gets marked down or goes mm-hmm. to a dump somewhere. Like we don't do that. We just, we, everything is like stuff you can wear. doesn't matter what year or season. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like you did kind of like an initial big collection, but now you're doing like smaller drops or updates rather than like a giant collection each season. Yeah, that's right. Or we're, <laughs> we, and we're, we're like gradually shifting to, to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a smart way to do it. I, I feel like you can get more, you can spend more time really talking about each piece or, and like why it's special. And it, it like each piece kind of gets a little bit more of the spotlight when you, you drop smaller, solid, smaller capsules or like just one new piece or a new colorway or something. Yeah. Like you can like, I see that in other brands that um, have kind of a similar model for when they launch products is, yeah, you can kind of build the excitement around it for longer. Um, and you do a lot of kind of like comfy staple piece basics, right? Yeah, exactly. We knew that our, our customer and, and, you know, maybe Netta can speak to some of the polling that we did before we launched, but we knew that comfort was key and, um, and that they just needed this, like they can go to, they can, they will still go to fast fashion brands for like the trendier, dressier pieces. They needed what they needed something high quality in the stuff that they wore like 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it was interesting. Oh, sorry. I was just no, going to go say ahead. for us initially, the polling and that kind of internal focus group we had was so helpful because we went into this thinking, okay, these girls, they're not girly. They don't like pink. They, you know, we had one sort of impression of, of, you know, an opinion of what we thought they wanted, but we quickly learned in that, wow, they actually really do like pinks and pastels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and right now what we're hearing from them is, oh no, they really want neutral. So this again is, I think, so important in terms of really co-creating. If you're not creating a, um, designing for yourself and your own demographic, you know, it's really important to listen to who you're, who you're designing for and and what they really want to be wearing. So it's not just about looking at, at teens on the street and seeing what they're wearing, but it's really about sort of engaging them and making them part of the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Why, why spend all this time and effort trying to guess what people want? Like, just ask them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, it almost, uh, I've seen this with other brands too, that 
you kind of bring their customers along on their pre-launch journey and kind of behind the scenes or, you know, help picking colors and nailing gown styles um, for their collections is the customer feels a little bit more like, uh, like maybe responsibility is not quite the right word, but like they feel more involved in the process. Like when it does launch, they're like, oh, I picked that color and they like have some like connection to it of being part of creating that and like seeing it come to life. Um, and that can be a special like experience for the customer as well. For sure. And we actually um, just recently started rebranding, renaming some of our uh, products on some of our initial customers. Um, we had a sort of a contest around it. And um, again, it's just another way that we're really trying to involve them in every part of our brand and process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fun for everyone. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, like with sustainability and quality pieces, like there's a there is an expense and a price tag that normally goes along with that. And so how do you balance that quality and sustainable materials and making sure it, you know, lasts, lasts a long time with affordability? Because, you know, a Gen Z customer may not have a lot of expendable income quite yet. Yeah. And we've totally been seeing that. And I think, you know, one of the things, one of the things that is always like a constant, um, debate for us during during the development phase of of new styles and and pieces is that you know we want we want to offer something with attention to detail for sure and that can come at an expense but there are things that we think that are like kind of part of our brand that that are are kind of like um, essential to the pieces we've designed but then we're like how do we how do we offer something different like tie-dye or other embellishments that that we that they might want without adding to the expense so i think you know mm-hmm. what we do to keep costs down at least for now is we try to stay away from like testing out too much extra bells and whistles like we want to pay attention to detail we have our logo like nicely embroidered in a tone on tone color on our sweats um we have details like the cords on our hoodies are, we get a lot of praise for, um, and, you know, pockets, like things that, that matter to the comfort and design, um, we don't skimp on, but, mm-hmm. um, but then we try to like, take out like, okay, we don't need to add extra buttons or zippers or, you know, um, you know, patches or something for now, because we want to like, get these girls used to, this is the price you pay for, a. Um, sustainable, high quality fabric that's going to last you a long time. And we really Mm -hmm. need to just work on educating them that, you know, if you spend, it's, it's very hard, you know, at this age, if you, if you make $80 one night babysitting, you can spend it on, you know, five different things from H&M, or you can buy Mm -hmm. one high quality sweatshirt from Woodley and Lowe, you know, it's, it's very hard to make them make the right decision, but um, we're very much about this, like selling this, like buy less, buy better philosophy, where Mm -hmm. if you, if you buy one thing, that you use for, you know, you use 40 times over the course of two years, that's worth, that's like, ends up being much less expensive than if you buy one thing for $20 and use it once and then throw it away. Yeah, definitely. Um, So how, how do you go about like sharing that message or communicating that? Cause yeah, with sustainable fashion and like, if you're, if you don't know a lot about it, it can be a little bit of a sticker shock, but I, I found anyway that like once, once the customer kind of understands what goes into making a garment and, you know, how long it takes to sew something or what, you know, what the process is for making a fabric that's sustainable or what, what things are, make it more high quality than the next sweatshirt. Um, that once they understand that, they're like, oh yeah, this is totally worth the money. But at first, when you don't know those things, it's it's hard to justify it. Yeah. So- and especially for items that are are fairly simple, like art, like mm-hmm. sweats and t-shirts and and you know, everyday essentials. Um, it's hard to make that connection. And it's something that I think we're still trying to figure out like how to exactly get 
our messaging across and how to like make it super transparent. Um, Netta can probably talk some more to the fact that like we're we're starting to do um, some more educational stuff with our community. And I think there's an opportunity as we roll out trunk shows um, to have girls who help host them, like know more about the brand and be able to mm -hmm. speak to their friends about it. Um, but she can speak to some of like the educational stuff we're doing as well. Awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that we really from the beginning wanted to sort of shape our ambassador program around was uh, really creating not just a program where they would be able to help us spread our brand mission um, and brand awareness to their friends and communities, but also a program where they would gain something. You know, we're learning that these girls are all, a lot of them are budding entrepreneurs and super interested in sort of starting their own businesses. They, you know, being content creators. And so we thought to ourselves, like, what else can we provide them? What are some tools that we can provide them as they're sort of trying to figure out how they build their own um, businesses and brands? And so, you know, we're, we're planning to launch a series of um, various talks on Instagram where we're introducing these girls to different founders and experts in various fields, as well as having um, a special tier of our ambassador program that's a little bit um, more engaged with us and, you know, again, providing them enrichment opportunities, um, you know, meetings, networking opportunities where they can kind of obtain the skills that will help them move forward in, in their own entrepreneurial journeys. It's a really cool idea and kind of get them excited about the mission and also kind of help them on their future career paths or, you know, business ideas. So exactly. Awesome. Um, have you found, so one thing I've noticed, especially the past couple of years, um, and I work a lot with or solely with women's apparel brands. So a little bit older maybe than your customer, but I've noticed that consumers are generally more willing like they're they're more likely to buy their values or buy from brands that share their values mm -hmm. or or care like looking like they'll look more into what does this brand care about what you know organizations do they support if any um what are their ethics in terms of production or sustainability um, more so than ever. I'm wondering, have you noticed that as well with um, your the teen girls that are in your target market? Sure. I mean, it's definitely something we're hearing from them. It's, you know, I think it's what they want, whether it's where they're putting their dollars is still, um, we're still seeing sort of a mix. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the fast fashion brands um, do not have brand pillars and, and brand messaging that at all are aligned with, with these girls' values, yet um, they're offering product at, at a pretty inexpensive price point. So if a girl has a certain amount to spend, um, she's, she's, we're finding that she's still likely to overlook that and, and spend with the fast fashion brands just to, you know, fulfill her wardrobe needs. But mm -hmm. we are starting to see a shift and, and more and more um, interest and, in, and, in, you know, more girls kind of speaking up on, on aligning themselves with their, with brands that, um, that their beliefs are aligned with. So, you know, I think we started seeing it for sure with the millennial, with millennials, um, mm -hmm. really kind of shopping more responsibly shopping from, um, brands with more transparency. And, um, I think it's going to trickle down to Gen Z. I think it's just a little bit harder because they're a bit more price sensitive. They're spending their babysitting dollars and they are, um, you know, they're more aware of every cent that they're spending and what they're mm -hmm. getting from it. Um, but it's definitely something we've been watching and, and for sure seeing happen. Gotcha. I think, you know, one of the tricky things that, um, that we're seeing now is as, as, um, the attention is is going more and more on Gen Z, and and people are market are are saying more and more how how these are their um, these are the things that are important to them. You are seeing some of the like more fast fashiony brands 
shift their marketing to messaging that that is oh yeah we're sustainable or we're mm-hmm. inclusive which is it's good it, it's a good in a lot of ways they're noticing that this is important but there is also a lot of greenwashing out there and there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that where they're just trying to like look like it's they're a marketing doing the right tactic. thing yeah exactly but it's just a marketing tactic and so we're just hoping that you know because this is all all of these is, issues are so, so much a part of the fabric of who we are you know this is a very smart generation and we're hoping that that you know we will be the cream that rises to the top as they see like no this is a brand that really really walks the talk mm-hmm. yeah definitely and it seems like it really uh really is kind of woven into the fabric of who your brand is. It wasn't like an afterthought marketing campaign of like, oh, you know, sustainability is a buzzword right now. Let's add that to the copy on our website. Like it seems like from the very beginning, you've really thought through and included all of these pillars in how you run your business. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you mentioned like, you know, your the girls like spending babysitting money. So I, I feel like this age group is kind of right on the maybe split or maybe not um, in terms of them spending their own money on clothes versus maybe their mom still buying clothes for them. Do you find um, like what is maybe that ratio in in the age group that you you serve and how does that affect kind of the decisions or the marketing that um, you make in terms of the brand? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because it is something that we think about all the time. Um, we, from the very beginning, said we wanted to we wanted to set out with the girls themselves as our target for marketing because mm-hmm. we knew it was important for them to be the ones to discover it in order to be like a cool brand, something that they authentically like. We mm-hmm. wanted them to discover it and not their mom. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I knew from my experience, if I like brought something home and my daughter had not heard of it before, she'd, she'd automatically be against it. So, so we, we wanted to focus on the girls themselves um, as far as ha- having them discover us. But it is tricky because um, we, we are seeing, you know, this is just a rough estimate, but I think, you know, two thirds of our transactions are girls spending their own money, but then, and one third are people buying gifts, but mm-hmm. then flip it, two thirds of our revenue are people buying gifts and one third is the girl spending their own money. So we're getting mm-hmm. more volume, but they're spending much less. Whereas the parents, it's a lower volume, but they're spending much more. So we need to continue to figure out how to strike that balance, how to be like, you know, the, the old, um, kicks serial, uh, tagline kid tested mother approved, parent approved or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing. Like we need, we need, we need just more and more girls like talking about it and, 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 and talking up our brand, but then having the, the connection between the parents, like knowing about us and saying like, yes, um, I've heard about this brand and I heard they're, they're good thing. I will totally buy you that sweatshirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's so fascinating of just how the, they're not conflicting, but like the different things to like, think about, I always find interesting of, uh, yeah, just who is the customer, but sometimes like the customer, you know, the person wearing it in this case, like the teen girl may or may not be the customer who's financially spending the money on this. Um, and, but I can see how, yeah marketing to the girls um kind of builds that you know trust and like the cool factor with them but then with everything that you're doing you know once they're like hey mom look at this like the mom would you be totally behind it you know it's like yes this is something that is good to support and yeah it's a good valued purchase yeah exactly cool so I'm curious, what has been the biggest challenge so far since starting Woodley and Low? I mean, I, I'll speak first and then Neva can add if she has any um, other thoughts too. I think, you know, really one of the biggest challenges is just getting people's attention and especially this, this 
teen market, getting their attention um, online and be, you know, being a website and having them think to come to you and then, and then spend the money. Like, you know, my background was in brick and mortar and, you know, even on our slowest day, we still had customers who would walk by and come in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as a website, you're, you're kind of, if you're not in front of the, your customer all the time, you're, you can be forgotten. And so it's really about, you know, for us as an e-com business, um, trying to stay top of mind, trying to be like really, you know, ingrained in, in, you know, who they are and what they're doing every day and, and, and having them, you know, continue to think, think about us and come back to us. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, did you have something to add to that? No, I mean, I'm, I, I think that's very spot on. I think, you know, we're still very early in our life cycle. And I think, you know, as a self-funded smaller business, um, you do have limitations when it comes to, you know, spending on digital marketing, for example, is very expensive. A lot of, of things that, you know, businesses may do to scale require a lot of capital. So we've been trying to be very smart and scrappy and efficient with our use of capital to figure out, you know, we're, we're a small team um, with not a lot of money to just throw around at different ideas. So how do we do this strategically? How do we build brand awareness? You know, I think a lot of times for some brands, it might be one thing, just they hit it, you know, whether it's like one TikTok goes viral and that brand becomes, you know, an overnight, you know, success, but Mm -hmm. that, that type of story is very rare. And um, I think for us, it's been important for us to kind of stay focused, stay in our lane and figure out, you know, I think realistically, it's not just one thing. It's not just getting one celebrity to wear the brand. It's not just, you know, working. It's not just doing, you know, some Instagram ads. It's, it's sort of a combination. It's a system of kind of hitting across all different buckets and, and how you not build the brand and, and market to this customer, how we, as Rachel mentioned, you know, get in front of the girl directly and not her mom first. And how, how do we get in front of her? How do we engage Mm her? Um, I do think sometimes this generation is, is inundated with content. Mm -hmm. So how do we cut through the clutter? So those are probably, you know, those are the things that I think keep us challenged. Um, It almost feels like a puzzle that we're, we're trying to solve and, and, Mm -hmm. um, how do we, you know, at a lot, in a lot of ways, we're sort of innovating and we're at the forefront of this teen re- Gen Z retail space in terms of, you know, we never set out to just create an, another apparel brand. We really wanted to create a platform where, you know, not a lot of times we say we want to be sort of the goop for this generation where content and commerce converge. Um, mm-hmm. and, and how do we do that? How do we build you know, from this early point in our life cycle, how do we, how do we get to the next step? Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things to think about yeah. with running a business and marketing a business, but um, it seems like you both are really smart about how it's like, no, we, we know who we're, we're trying to serve. We know like what's important to us and really like kind of going slow and steady with it and making sure it's, it's done right by, things that are important to you, which is really great. Yeah. So on the flip side, uh, what are you most proud of or excited about so far from um, this journey of starting Woodley and Lowe? Well, one of the things I'm most proud of is our customer feedback. And like with by far and away, the number one word we hear over and over again is I'm obsessed. (laughs) And it's, you know, you look at, I, I love like, when we get our like monthly, here are your new reviews and, and reading what people have to say. And, um, and I, and so I do think, I, I do feel really optimistic about our path to success based on the fact that we have, you know, we are selling a product that people absolutely love. And I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of opportunity, you know, we're beyond just being a product. We are you know, as Netta said, you know, we're building a community, we want to be a platform, but we're, we're basically on a mission 
to you know, make teen girls feel super comfortable both in who they are and what they wear. And we're delivering on the what they wear part. And now mm-hmm. we have all this opportunity to to help support them and figure out like, how can we make them comfortable with who they are too? And how can we like give them opportunities to, to you know, amplify their voices and feel, feel confident as, you know, as um, girls going out into the world and, you know, knowing things like financial literacy or building a business or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. Of I always love it. And that's what's so interesting about talking to different founders and designers on this podcast is hearing, you know, what is that mission behind the clothes? Because it just makes the brand, I think, so much stronger and like more meaningful. Um, and it really shows in the clothes too, I think of, you know, when there is that important mission outside of just making clothes and making a profit, um, there, it, it really shows like how much like thought and care and um, skills go into making the clothes. And like, you can tell there's purpose behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. So I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, and I feel like you might've already answered it, but what is, uh, if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Hmm. One value. Neta, Mm -hmm. do you have any ideas or do you want me to take it? (laughs) Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I was going to say, I was going to say self-confidence to me. Like, again, this goes to our mission of, you know, making Mm -hmm. the girls feel like happy and comfortable and, and, you know, and aware of like that they're, that they're heard. Um, So I think mine would be self-confidence. It's funny because the first word I came up with was comfort because I feel that like while we physically want girls, we, th- we know comfort is so important for this generation in terms of like how clothes feel on their bodies. But also, um, again, I think it goes in line with what Rachel just said in terms of comfort mm-hmm. being like comfortable in their skin, um, mm-hmm. and having, having that, that self-confidence. So I think, you know, that would yeah. probably be the most important thing for our brand. So cool. And I can definitely see that. Um, in, in your brand and in the pieces you design. This has been so fun to talk to you both and hear more about Woodley and Lowe and a little bit of the behind the scenes of your brand and mission. Um, where can people find more about you and the brand online? Um, they can shop our website, which is woodleylow.com. So W-O-O-D-L-E-Y-L-O-W-E.com. Um, they can also find us on TikTok and Instagram and Pinterest at woodleylow. So we're woodley and low, but, but all of our socials and our website just took it. We took out the and. So. Gotcha. I'll include links to those in the show notes as well. So great. Thank, thank you, you both for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks thank so, much. so much. Thanks for having us. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.